Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. If you remember the Back to the Future movie series, one of the things you'll recall about it is, is that the more things changed, the more they stayed the same. Whether it was Hill Valley or the, the, the dress or the dance moves or the music, all those things changed as Marty McFly went forward and backward in time. But yet every time he arrived in a new destination, I guess we'll call it, he found things were just going on as they had when he'd been growing up. It seemed that the whole message of the movie really was peripheral things might change. The, the externals, the dress, the music, so on and so forth. Those things might change, but there are certain core things, especially core things about relationships, that always stay the same. How you get the girl. How you deal with the bully. How you maintain confidence through tough and challenging times. Marty found that wherever he traveled in time, the core principles that answered those questions remained the same. In the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be going through this series, Back to the Future Church. And we're going to be, in essence, like Marty McFly traveling through time. We're going to go back and look at the ancient church, the, the early church, shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, shortly after the Pentecost. And I think we're going to discover the exact same truth. Externals might change. I doubt very much. In fact, I know that in the early church, sitting there in Solomon's colonnade, they didn't have nice, beautiful, cushy chairs like we've got today. And the carpeting on the floor. And they weren't dressed like I'm dressed. Or you're dressed. But the core principles remain the same. You know that at Crosswalk, we're going into a period now where we've just celebrated our fifth anniversary, and we're thinking a lot about what's coming up in the next five years. Where is God going to take us? And that's the reason for the timing of this message series. Because we wanted to go dig back in Scripture again and say, what does God really say about his church? What is his vision for the church. Is it really something as special as we think it is? Or on the other hand, maybe there are some of us that's, that would say, is it something that's as peripheral, as unimportant as we think it is? What does God have to say? What is God's vision for his church? And there's no greater place to start, I think, than in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which gives us a snapshot of the very first Christian congregation in Jerusalem, shortly after the day of Pentecost. Now, remember that Jesus has been dead and has risen from the grave not much more than a month and a, and a half before this snapshot of the church has, taken, has been taken. And in just a moment, I'll review some of the amazing things that have taken place in that 50-day period between Jesus' death and resurrection and the day of Pentecost. I think you'll be amazed at the change that, go, that the church goes through just in that short period of time. And yet, through all that change, core principles stick out. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. 
Beginning at verse 42, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Take a moment just to read back through that, just by yourself. I want you to really absorb that snapshot. You see unchanging core principles emerging as you look at that snapshot of the church. And it's because we want to identify those this morning and in the coming weeks throughout this series that we subtitled the series Ancient Power and Purpose for Today's Church. We really want to identify those essential properties, those core things that gave the early church its power and its purpose and that we believe, biblically, can continue today, 2,000 years later, to give this church, Crosswalk, and churches in our era, in our time, its power and purpose. Sometimes, you know, when we hear about things in Bible times, I think we're tempted a little bit to mentally write it off. As if, you know, those were sort of comic book superhero days. And amazing things that happened back in Bible times, there's just... That just happened then, and it really can't happen now. God's not working, we think, in exactly the same way today as he did 2,000 years ago. And yet, it's so intriguing to have that thought when the Bible itself is the book that tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our God is unchanging. His power, his purposes are are unchanging. And they can still very much apply to what we're doing in the church today. So let's take a look at the congregation that sprung up in Jerusalem shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, what do we see there? Well, first of all, are you familiar with the timeline? I mentioned it briefly just a second ago. The people that are being described here are just literally less than two months removed from witnessing Jesus' death on the cross. And after that, we know three days later, God raised his son Jesus from the grave as proof that all that Jesus had done for us, for them, was accepted. You know that that's the meaning of the resurrection, don't you? So essential that we get the meaning of the resurrection as we move into this series. The meaning of the resurrection is that it's sort of like when you sign the papers on your new home. It becomes really your new home at that time. But there's still a little bit of period. It might happen right there in that meeting or it might happen a day later where you don't yet have the keys. The papers are signed. The house is yours. But the keys haven't been handed over. 
If you want a great picture of the resurrection, that's what the resurrection is. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a done deal. What did Jesus say at the very end, shortly before he died? Remember that little three-word phrase? It is finished. It was truly done at that point. But three days later, when, when Jesus w- rose from the grave, that was God putting his stamp of approval on it and making it tangible that what Jesus had done, that Jesus' perfect life that he lived in your place and my place was ours, that Jesus, the punishment that he took, God accepted it, and so God, in effect, raised his son from the grave and said, look, here's the keys. I'm raising my son from the grave to show you clearly, tangibly, that Jesus' perfect righteousness is yours. You're forgiven. And the punishment that Jesus took by his stripes, Isaiah says, you are healed. These early disciples are still basking in that knowledge of what has happened. The Messiah, the long-promised Messiah, the one that people were, were saying, will he ever come? It's real now. It's, it's happened. It's tangible. And Jesus walks around for 40 days saying, I'm here. I'm really alive. And he makes numerous appearances over that 40-day period. And then one day, in front of all the disciples, he rises up visibly into heaven until he's hidden by the clouds. And it's not much more than a week later that the disciples are are gathered in a room. And all of a sudden, in the quiet of that room, there's a sound like a rushing wind. Little flames of fire begin to flicker over each of the disciples' heads. Just as Jesus himself had promised, he said, shortly after I go away, I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to fully open up your eyes to all that has taken place, to all that I've done. And you'll develop an even greater, more full appreciation of my life, my death, and my resurrection. On that day, Peter goes out and he begins to preach a message. Many of the people that are gathered there in the temple probably had had the experience of being in that crowd, or at least several of them. The very crowd that had been saying, when Jesus before Pilate, crucify him. And now Peter, with his Pentecost understanding, filled with the Holy Spirit, is telling the people, look, this is what has happened. This is amazing. And the people are literally, Acts chapter 2 says, struck to the heart. Acts 2.37 says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And on that day, the church went from 120 disciples. If you read in Acts chapter one, 
the actual number is given, 120 disciples in one day to over 3,000 believers. Now that's growth. And now that snapshot, Acts 42. Here are these 3,000 brand new Christ followers. And how, are, how do they act? What does all this knowledge of God's grace and forgiveness, all, all this impact of Christ's death and resurrection, what does it do to them? Well, take a look. Take a look. And, I, and many times I can tell you that just one verb really hits it on the head. And I want you to look at the very first verb in this section. What's that verb? Devoted. knowing all that they knew. Now, I want you to think about this. Remember, again, some of these people were the very people, or if not the ones who actually opened their mouth, they were people who were probably standing in that crowd saying, crucify this guy. And now all of a sudden it's come to their attention that, no, this guy that we were calling for his crucifixion, he really is the Savior. Can you imagine being in that position? And yet, really, aren't we all in that position? Because it's our sins that put Jesus on the cross. He was punished to bring peace for us. By his stripes, we're healed. We got the pun- he got the punishment that we deserved. We're right there with them. And basking in that forgiveness and grace, they devoted themselves, it says. Now, what does devoted mean? In your crosswalk notes, pull those out. I put together four little statements. And I think to really understand what the people in this first congregation were doing when they devoted themselves, we need to get the full meaning. Now, this word in the Greek can mean, can have different shadings. First of all, it can mean to adhere to with strength. I explained this very same word not too long ago to you in a, in a message, and I said, it, it's like duct tape. How strongly duct tape sticks to something. These people were super glued to their God when they became aware of his grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. Second of all, it means to be constant to one. And that's important. Once they knew what Jesus had done for him, they gave their whole hearts over to him. They were faithful with their hearts. They didn't let their hearts wander anymore from one God or one important thing to another in their lives. Their hearts were authentically and truthfully dwelling in God alone. Thirdly, it means to be steadfastly attentive to These people were focused. And we're going to find in just a moment that there were some critical things, four critical things that they were focused on, laser focused on. And fourthly, this very same word means to continue constantly all the time or to persevere. Once they got honed in and focused on God, they didn't let up. They didn't faint. They didn't miss a beat. They hung with it all the way. Now take just a moment 
Look back over those definitions, all of them, all four of them. They were devoted to God. What an amazing thing for us to think that we're standing on their shoulders 2,000 years later. And this message of Christ's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his death, his resurrection has been passed down to us. And one of those core unchanging principles is that God, just as he wanted their whole hearts, he wants my whole heart. He wants your whole heart. He wants our devotion. He wants us to to stick to him, to be constant with him, faithful. He wants us to pay attention to him, and he wants us to never give up, but always keep our faith in him and persevere in that faith. Look how this played out in the early church. I, I put some passages down because this wasn't just an attitude that stayed in the heart. It was an attitude that was in the heart and proceeded out to their feet and their hands and their ears and their mouths. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined constantly in prayer in this early church. Or take a look at how they cared for one another. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Their devotion for God, in other words, turned into devotion equally for one another. They focused right where God was focused. And where was that? We said it. On each other's hearts. When they had to pick a new disciple... To replace Judas so that they would be back up to 12, it came down to two people. And so they prayed, and they asked God to guide their choice. And as they prayed, what did they look for? Look at what it is that they said. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Circle that word heart, because that's what this is about. You know everyone's heart. When others saw this going on, their interest was piqued. And it wasn't just that amazing blowing wind or the the flames of fire. About that, some people were thinking, ah, these guys have just been drinking too much. But when they began to see how the Holy Spirit and this devotion was impacting the lives and transforming the lives of the believers, they were attracted to this. And as I read to you before, when the apostles preached, they would come up to them and say, we know that we were part of this. We know that we've sinned. We know that we've done wrong. We're guilty. We're ashamed of ourselves. What do we do next, Peter? What do we do next, John? And look at what Peter answered. Repent, that is change your mind, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simple, Peter said. Simply change your hearts and minds. 
where once you enjoyed and loved your sinful, rebellious path, turn around. Come back to God. Feel sorrow over your sin. And then what does he say? Simply accept the forgiveness that is always there for you, that Jesus won for you. And be baptized and have your sins washed away. Now, when you hear a message like that, when I hear a message like that, how can we help but be anything other than devoted? It's got to be devotion that that message raises up in our hearts. So here's our first point. The ancient church was fully devoted to God and to one another. As we think about the vision of Crosswalk, and as we move forward through the next five weeks after this week to talk about the different pieces and parts, the different real, really, the different purposes, biblical purposes that God has laid out for his church. We'll be talking about those. We're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about service. We're going to talk about outreach and discipleship. We're going to talk about all five of them. As we do that, I hope our minds will never leave this very first point. And that is, these purposes emerge from God's heart for us. That he had such a huge heart to give up his son, Jesus Christ. And now he's saying to us, he's saying, I'm looking for this to come back. I want to win you over with my love. And as I am so devoted to you that I would give you the very best that I have, that I would sacrifice the the, the most valuable thing that I have for you, my son, that you would be equally empowered by my Holy Spirit, devoted to me. Keep that principle in mind. That is one of those core, unchanging, essential principles principles of the church. God is looking for our devotion. Now, one of the things that we said about devotion is that it is about focus. And what I want to look at next in this passage is what were the people of this early congregation focused on? Do you see it there? Because it's right there in the very first verse, and it's an amazing thing. What were they devoted to? Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to hone in. We honed in on that verb devoted. Now I want to hone in on that one verse. There are four, in that verse, four wildly important goals. Wigs for short. Four wigs. That the church was all about wildly important goals that they said, if there's anything we're going to focus on as a church, it's these four things. And I want you to take a look at those. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, remember, I've said that it's not been all that long that Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's still been meeting them alive after his resurrection. And in one of those meetings, he told them something. 
Matthew chapter 28. He says, if there's anything I want you to remember, it's this mission. And then he speaks words that nowadays we call the great commission. You remember those words? I put them in your, in your notes. Take a look at those. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Circle that word, everything. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that's an amazing statement because it's a command. And with that command, Jesus attaches a promise. And he's he's essentially saying, if you will listen to me, if you will hear my voice, if you will deeply dig into my teaching, and then share it with others until they know everything that I've commanded, then I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. And so what did the people of this early Jerusalem congregation consider the most important thing to do, the the root essential thing to do? To obey that command of Jesus and to access what we now refer to as the means of grace, the real source of our power, the apostles' teaching. That's a core principle. One that was important, so important that Jesus gave it to us in the form of the Great Commission. One that was so important that is listed first of the wildly important goals. A church has to be about the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, the Bible. The second one, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And that equally was a command of Christ. Take a look at this passage, what, the one that Jesus had told them. I don't know if you remember John chapter 15. This is the chapter where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I want you to remain in me and I'll remain in you. Don't get cut apart from me. And then he goes on and he says, just like I don't want you to get cut off from me, I don't want you to get cut off from one another either. Devote yourselves to friendship and fellowship. I've told you this, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Underline that phrase, love each other as I have loved you. That's what Jesus is calling for from us. He's saying, in a church, there has to be community, connectedness, love, looking out for one another's interests. And in just a moment, we're going to see how that actually played out in this early congregation. And I pray that it will continue to play out in Crosswalk as it has already started, that we have each other's back, that we truly love one another from the heart, and we meet each other's needs. Did you hear what we read already in this early church? There were times where the believers sold their property so that they could meet the needs of another Christ follower. That's pretty amazing stuff. The third unchanging, wildly important goal. 
they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is probably a reference in general terms to they enjoyed one another's hospitality. They probably ate together quite frequently in one another's homes. There's a passage in Acts that tells us they met frequently in the temple courts and from house to house. But many scholars, in fact, most scholars also believe that there's a greater depth to this reference of breaking bread. They believe that it's equally a reference to the Lord's Supper. That this early congregation was devoted to making sure that they accessed the grace and the blessings, the means of grace that come through the Lord's Supper. They remembered what Jesus had promised and what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Literally coming to the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. It's a retelling of what Jesus has done for us. And in that retelling is amazing power. And finally, they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And look what happened when they prayed. Look at Acts 4.31. God showed his pleasure when they prayed. There's a verse that says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's not the same on the externals today as it was then. We're no longer in Jerusalem, no longer meeting in Solomon's colonnade, But these unchanging principles still apply. I want to read something for you that I think really nails this point on the head. If you were to take the church, your concept of it as you know it today, and you were able to time travel back 500 years, you would find much of it markedly different. And that's only going back 500 years, not 2,000. The megachurch concept hadn't even been conceived. Churches were on the whole relatively small communities and rural in most places. Time travel even further back to the early church and there were no church buildings. There were no hymnals, no spiritual conglomerates, just people and their God. People in worship and fellowship with God living out authentic relationships with him And with one another. There were no huge efforts to put up huge big buildings. And more than that, church was an almost entirely relational endeavor. Focused first on relationship with Jesus. And then on relationship with others in their church and their world. And then he goes on to say this. I think this is important. Church must change. And we're not talking about just adding a couple of new worship choruses or some candles to the room. Church must go back to the future. Church must become a relational endeavor once again. God's relationship to us. Our relationship to one another. 
And then he makes this point. Our culture is asking spiritual questions. And if the statistics are true, they're no longer looking to the church for their answers. People are staying away from the church in droves. And yet, the church holds the truth because we hold the Bible, the apostles' teaching. And the key to unlocking people's deepest desires in the palms of her hand. Now, if you buy into that statement, as I do, that means just simply this. We have to create what in the business world they talk about as raving fans. And that means that we have to really love one another deeply. It's not about some sort of marketing gimmick. It's not about some sort of pretend experience or pretend relationship. It's deep and authentic and real and transparent, and it's helping one another and serving one another. And when that truly happens, and when all of us are involved in it, then raving fans become the natural byproduct, don't they? And more people begin to look to the church and go, What's going on there? Just like they did in the early days of the church. That's how the church grew so dramatically. They created raving fans by simply living out authentically their relationship with God and with one another. So here's our second principle. The ancient church's devotion was focused And it was focused on these wildly important goals. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. You know, the church can be about so many different things. Maybe it's time we just honed back in on the wildly important things. And when we do that, what might God do? Well, let's take a look at what God did. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What happened? I can put it in one word. Blessing happened. When these people's hearts were devoted, when these people's hearts got back focused, not on all this peripheral stuff, but on what was truly important, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, the fellowship, loving one another, breaking of bread, holy communion, prayer, talking to God, asking him to meet needs and thanking him for all he's done. Blessing started pouring down. 
And by the way, maybe you're wondering, was this just this one occasion? Look in your crosswalk notes. Because several chapters later on, Luke, who's the author of Acts, comes back to this same point, And he says, look, the church grew even more. By Acts chapter 4, we're told that there were now 5,000. And, and, and it says we're only counting men now. So probably there were more like 10,000 people, if you count all the people that were coming to church. There, this church has grown amazingly. And yet, what is still true? They haven't lost the core the unchanging, the essential. Take a look at the description. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Our third point is simple. The ancient church's devotion was blessed by God with amazing health and strength. This was a healthy, strong church. And isn't that what we still want today? A church that's truly healthy and strong. You know that God describes us, the church, as a body. And that means all of our systems have to be firing. And in order for the systems to be firing, just like anybody, you have to give it the right inputs, the right food, the right exercise. And when you do that, which is why this church was focused on those wildly important goals and why hopefully we still are too, you get blessing, you get health, you get strength. I hope you'll join me as we go through the next five weeks in praying that God will make every heart in this church fully devoted to himself. I hope you'll join with me in making it your prayer that God will keep us focused. Shove away all the peripheral stuff, the stuff that can change, and get back to the core, non-changing, essential things. God's word, praying, fellowshipping, getting to the sacraments. And I hope you'll enjoy and join me in praying that as we are devoted and are focused that God will bless us. He's an unchanging God. He will bless us as he blessed this very first congregation in Jerusalem. I want to ask you to keep coming back for this entire series every Sunday. Because each and every Sunday we're going to take one more step of looking into God's design, God's model for his church, understanding his power and his purpose. And it's only when we dig back into God's word, into the apostles' teaching, that we can become the church that God intends us to be. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Take some time this week to self-examine your devotion quotient. Is your personal relationship with Christ, is it healthy and strong? 
Also analyze the time that you invest in the four wildly important goals. Remember this, in Christ, God has blessed you already. You are forgiven. You're a dearly loved child of God. His mercy is yours. And when we focus, he says, I'll bless you more. And then meditate on and memorize Acts 2.42. Fix those four wildly important goals in your heart and mind. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are an amazing God. We ask for your blessing today upon this church. And we ask that you would keep us focused on what's wildly important to you. And help us, Lord, to have hearts that are not shaky, that, that, are, that are not doubtful, but that are fully devoted to you, knowing that you sent your son Jesus for us and that you raised him from the grave as the full proof of our salvation. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com. 